Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, this is Toby Mathis. And Jeff Webb. You're listening to Tax Tuesday. So welcome to another wonderful Tuesday where we are bringing tax knowledge to the masses. So today's going to be a fun one, Jeff. We have, yep. a, we have lots of good stuff in store. All right, guys, we have a lot of tax <coughs> professionals on. We're on a tax deadline today. You don't realize the tax time is all the time. Which deadline is this one? This is a what we call a drop dead for the March 2021 corporations. This is the last day to file for them to be on time. Oh, wow. So, and then the September year ends can extend. Would it be the March? The March would actually be. Wouldn't the drop dead have been in September? Uh, no, the March year ends the original return would have been due oh, so, yeah, in July. Nine months, nine months. And then you're right. Sorry. Yeah. Toby brain farted. All right. Let's jump in. We got a lot. We got Elliot. We got Christos. We got Dutch. We got Ian. We got Dana. We got Troy. We have a whole crew here to help you. Let me just kind of go over how this works. So it's not just Jeff and I. We are going to be monitoring the chat. But if you go into Q&A and ask questions, we have a bunch of tax professionals. You have tax attorneys. You have CPAs. You got some bookkeepers. You got all sorts of folks in that question and answer. So I'm going to see how good you guys are. In the chat area, in the chat area, put where you're from. Let us know where you are from so we can see it. Oh, there's somebody from Anacortes. I always say this. My mom lives in Anacortes. So if you're from Anacortes, hello. All right. So we got, oh my God, they're flying through. Gosh darn it. Claremont, they're just going too fast. Vacaville, Aurora, Aura, Maryland, Palm Desert. Puyallup. Hey, I was from Palm Desert. You're from Palm Desert? For a few years, I lived there. That's hot. San Jose, Asheville, Delaware, Virginia, Ann Arbor. Corona, Omaha, where's this one? Auburn, Alabama. Parents met in Auburn, Alabama. Mm -hmm. Pensacola, Florida. My parents lived in Pensacola for quite a while before they came out to Washington. So this is like history day. There's there's more Omaha. They're still flying through. I'm trying to get to where they don't fly through so fast. Yeah, also I'm seeing us lines fly past. It's just going crazy. Vegas, hey, you're yeah, that's where we're at right now. Delaware in the house from Minnesota. You say it, Minnesota. Hayward, my mom was born in Minnesota. See my mom, six degrees from Sandy Mathis, right? Uh, San Diego, Temecula. There's from uh, Minneapolis, which is a great town. Probably colder now. San Jose, Woodenville, Washington, no Woodenville very well. Colorado, Saratoga, gosh, guys, are all over the place. So having some fun with y'all, but they're just flying by too fast. So I'm going to quit trying. <clears throat> all right. So here's the deal. If you have tax questions when we're not doing a tax Tuesday, like, hey, I'm sitting around, I have a tax question, email it on in. We go through and we make sure that we're answering them. You're touching me. No. Oh. Jeff's under the table. He's, he's messing with me. I tip. <laughs> you just email it into tax Tuesday at AndersonAdvisors.com and uh, we'll get you an answer. If it's super specific to you, it may say, hey, become platinum at least, pay us the whopping 35 bucks a month. But otherwise, we just answer it. If you ask questions here, you go ahead and throw it into the chat if it's just specific on what we're hitting, like you just need a clarifier. Otherwise, if you have a question that pertains to yourself, just throw it into the question and answer. I can already see Christos knocking them out. And, uh, you know, again, we're making sure it is above freezing Minnesota today. <laughs> wow. That's a that's a good thing. <laughs> Oat Mills in North Carolina. We were on the uh, what is it called? Zoom call mm -hmm. with our folks down in North Carolina. You guys are frozen. They were stuck in their house because there was so much ice in North Carolina. I'm always like, wow, that looks cold. All right. So whole idea, guys, is we're going to have a little bit of fun. It's fast, fun, educational. But the whole idea is that you get your questions answered and you don't get a bill. So unless you want us to send you a bill, <laughs> if you force us to, we'll send you a bill. But otherwise, no. Uh, somebody says, has it been changed from every... 2 p.m. to bi-weekly 3 p.m.? No. <laughs> it's been bi-weekly 3 p.m. for 
Jeff, how many years? I don't even know. No, at least the whole time I've been We've here. We've done well over 100 episodes at this. Yes, I'm just, <laughs> I don't know where you're getting. I'm watching. All right. Uh, here's our opening questions, and we're going to go through each one of these in turn. But we always go over the questions before we answer them. So here's the one. What methods can be used to continue to trade a security with a small loss other than wait 30 days to avoid the, the wash sale? Can I use options immediately for the same stock and avoid the wash sale? Interesting question. Profits from selling stock on the New York Stock Exchange or capital gains that are federally taxed appropriately. But should they also be taxed where the C-Corp entity managing the trading was created? If yes, why? We'll answer that. I receive stock from a company I work for, and it is in, in my account under my name only. If I open a joint brokerage account with my husband and transfer some stock there, can we gift $32,000 worth of stock to our child for 2022 without any reporting as married filing jointly? Is it 15000 or 16000 16000 in yeah. 2022. So it's going up. So we'll, we'll knock that one out. So you, uh, and you'll understand what we were just talking about here in a second. Thoughts on using a nonprofit that is funded with cryptocurrency? I just picked that one because it seemed random. When purchasing a self-storage, whenever they say thoughts, thoughts on. Tell me your thoughts on Teal. You know, I'll tell you. All right. When purchasing a self-storage facility, should it be in its own LLC? And can it be combined in an LLC that already has a property within its entity? So we'll knock that one out. I currently have a private lending business. My understanding is that my life insurance premiums are tax deductible on my Schedule C. As long as the proceeds are used to protect my capital assets will not benefit me personally. Is any of this true? Or if not, when is it okay to deduct the premiums? I always love those. Is any of this true? I heard this. (laughs) I'm selling real estate property in California. We use straight line depreciation for more than 30 years, about 700 grand. Do we add depreciation recapture tax rate 5% for 700,000 or use just 20% long-term capital gains rate. Total capital gain will be a little over $5 million. So that's an interesting question. We'll get to that and we'll explain what all those things mean. My husband and I would like to buy a small house that my mom owns free and clear. I'm going to propose seller financing. She is 82. So my question is, what happens if she passes away before the loan is paid off? I am the beneficiary of her estate along with my brother. How can I structure the terms to best suit everyone involved? Good questions. And I'm glad you're dealing with it ahead of time. So we'll knock that one out too. Do I need to perform cost segregation in the year I acquire the property for the same year bonus depreciation or performing it next year is okay? Sometimes I, I, I have trouble. Bought property in 2021, ran cost seg in 2022, write off bonus depreciation for the tax year 2021. That's a good clarifier. And we're going to knock that one out. Right. Last couple of questions. What is your opinion on cryptocurrency and mining? This is Jeff's favorite question, by the way. Is there big money to be made with mining with less risk than the currency? How much money does it take to get in the game? My question is, how are taxes calculated when renting only one home in your room for Airbnb? How are the expenses calculated? For example, cleaning fees, lawn, pest control, maintenance, snacks, and others, amenities offered to guests? question mark. So those are all really good questions today. We're going to have our hands full. We always mm-hmm. try to be done in an hour. Those of you guys have been watching for years, you know that we had a little bit of problems because we would just answer all questions that came. And sometimes we went a little long. Maybe. All right. Uh, by the way, I'm a tax attorney. Jeff here is a CPA who you've been a CPA for how long now? 31 years. See, when you have to think about it, it's been a long time. All right. Real quick, if you like Tax Tuesday, if you want to see any of the or listen to any of the past episodes, we do break them up and put them on YouTube. So I'm going to ask you a big question, a big favor. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Pretty please go in, subscribe if you want to. You can do it now. I even put in a rotating arrow into the presentation so you can go into YouTube and subscribe. Now, you do that and you click the little bell. And the reason that you're going to do that now is because the tax laws, when Build Back Better or whatever version they come out with, there's going to be something, there's going to be tax law changes. And we want to make sure that we're able to get out to you and make sure you, or if they do things like last year, they made certain portions of your income non-taxable after the tax season started. 
after people fi- started filing their tax returns. Mm-hmm. And they made a mess. So we like <coughs> to reach out to you guys right away. So that's where we put stuff. All right. Jeffrey. Yes, sir. What methods can be used to continue to trade a security with a small loss other than wait 30 days to avoid a wash sale? Can I use options immediately for the same stock and avoid a wash sale? What's a wash sale? A wash sale is when you sell a security at a loss and you purchase it 30 days before or after the sale of that stock. Within 30 days. Within 30 days. So if is it before? It's also before. So if I buy some stock and then I sell. Does it make any sense? Well, I don't get the loss. Yeah, it, it, it's for those people who go in and, and want to sell for a loss like today, but they knew they were going to do it, so they bought a bunch of stock two weeks ago. I see what you're saying. So, what's the downside of doing? Like, what's a the, what is the bad part of the of the wash sale? You just don't get the loss. You don't get to recognize the loss until you sell what we're going to call the replacement stock. It's going to adjust your basis. Yeah, fancy way. It's not like you lose the loss. It just gets blended in with the, with the stock that you purchase. So if I have a stock that loses money and I lose and I sell it and I have a $10 loss and then the next week I go, oh, and it starts coming back up and I buy it back, they're going to pretend that you never sold it. Mm-hmm. They're just going to say, oh, there was a couple dollars there that you're missing. We're just going to take that <coughs> couple dollars and adjust your basis. And where this can come into play is I own a stock and it's not doing well, so I sell it. Well, a week later, it drops a whole bunch. And I thought, oh, now this is a good value. And I get back into that stock. Well, I'm not going to be able to recognize that first loss immediately. It's going to get built into my basis. for Because you bought it back. Because I bought it back. Um, Now, the question, how can I avoid this? Mm -hmm. You can't. Uh, Not even with options. uh, Because what this code section actually says is even a contract to purchase additional stock which is what an option is. The one way you disqualifies. Could do it. The one way you could do it is let's say you had Exxon mm-hmm. and you had a loss, and you were like, "Hey, you know what? I want to buy it back, but I don't want the wash." You could buy a index, like maybe you go Energy. Yeah. You do something that's broad market, but if you do something that's specific to that particular security, no, you don't get it. What about buying through another entity? Still not going to work. Yeah. If as long as it's the same taxpayer. And even in IRAs, they say that you can't do it with the individual and then go in and buy it back in the, in the ah. IRA. So I sell it over here, take the loss individually and buy it the same stock the same day or within 30 days. And I buy it in my IRA, they're going to say that's a wash. So I think what's key here is they say a stock with a small loss. I don't worry about it. If the stock has become a good sale or a good purchase, then I buy the stock and not worry about that small loss. Mm-hmm. Is a, a standard workaround is... Not to trade in December. <laughs> I like David. All right. Profits from selling stock in the New York Stock Exchange or capital gains and are federally taxed appropriately. But should they also be state taxed or the C-Corp entity managing the trading was created if yes, why? Okay. I'm going to go by that the C-Corp is just managing the stock. They do not own the stock. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to tax them wherever the C-Corporation is. They're just ad- advising they the owner of the stock. They don't, they don't have any income from it. Now, if the C-Corp is a partner in an LLC that is managing or something like that, then that portion of the income would be taxable Correct. where the corporation is located. But otherwise, no. So yeah, federal tax is on the total transaction. State tax is allocated to the state in which the income is being generated. Now, trying to think about the situation, not necessarily with the C-Corp, but like California would try to bring everything into it. They always, it's all taxable here. Mm-hmm. But, but here, you, even the C-Corp is never going to be brought in on the income that is being generated outside that C-Corp. Yeah. So that's always going to go to somebody who's the, uh, to the individual. And if the C-Corp is only managing assets, I think I have that C-Corp in a non-taxing state. You're probably going to be looking at Wyoming, Nevada, the usual such. You know, unusual suspects. If you're in Texas or Florida, you know, even possibly Washington, mm-hmm. you do that too. But it's always a matter of getting your calculator out and saying, should I do this? But uh, C Corps are great. Otherwise, 100% medical, dental, vision deduction uh, for any reimbursements made to you on a health reimbursement plan. You get a 21% flat tax rate. 
They're actually pretty cool. People are always worried about the double tax, but we do thousands of C-Corp returns. That's yep. the deadline today, right? Yes. How many How many dividends did you see issued? Dividends? We don't issue hardly any dividends. <laughs> that's, that's the punchline. It's double taxed if you do a dividend. I, I mean, I can think of maybe a handful. Yeah, it's, it's small. I mean, which one? How many C-Corps actually show a profit? I know Nate, Matt, nationally, it's maybe 20%. Uh, for RC corporations, it's probably under 5%. Oh, somebody messing with Patty. Somebody said, Patty, that your camera was on, right? It's not. But you want to freak out Patty? Tell her that her camera's on. Hey, Patty, we can see you. No. All right. Here we go. I receive stock from a company I work for, and it is in my account under my name only. If I open a joint brokerage account with my husband, and transfer some stock there. Can we gift 32,000 worth of stock to our child for 2022 without any reporting as married filing jointly? Yes, you can. However, I would not do it this way. There is a uh, something called splitting gifts mm-hmm. where you can do- or contribute or gift, gift, that's what I'm looking for, gift $32,000 to your child, but you split that gift with your spouse. Mm-hmm. You do have to file form 709. It's pretty easy to fill out and send in saying that, yeah, I can gift the $32,000, but this is a split gift between me and my spouse. But if you didn't want to file anything, then the trick is, but they don't know. Like if I give $32,000 worth of stock to a child, I suppose that if you're giving the stock, you'd want to make sure that the IRS knows the value of the stock on this date, this was the item just in case it grows. But otherwise, if it was cash, you wouldn't really care which account it came out of. You just say, I gave a cash gift of up to 16000 It's not reported. Right. Uh, the stock is gifted at its fair market value, not its cost. Mm-hmm. Why would they give stock to a kid? So they things. don't have to pay the taxes on the appreciation. They don't have to pay the taxes on the appreciation, but there's a kitty tax. So if they're getting dividends, it's going to be taxed to the parents after, what, $2,200? Yes. So up until that child is 18, possibly 24, depending on mm-hmm. who's providing care for it, right? So uh, I don't know if I'm doing that or not. Yeah. The other thing I noticed in this is transferring stock that you got from your company. You, you need to make sure there's no restrictions on transferring that stock. Yeah. Somebody says, how do you know the value of a stock for a startup? That's tough. That is really tough because you're going to have a valuation. If it, if it has a, uh, a value because people have been if it's been raising money, possibly. Otherwise, what are you going to have to do? Get an appraisal? Yeah. If, if this is not publicly traded stock, I'm much less likely to do it. I'm probably mm-hmm. going to need to get the, the business appraised. And if it's not my business, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. It's possible your HR department may tell you the value of the stock, but... Yeah, it's tough. It's almost easier just to get the cash. But uh, you know what you do, in theory, in, for a child, again, this wouldn't work if they're under... 24 and they're going to college and you're supporting them or if they're under 18, they would get your basis of your gift. So mm-hmm. if I have stock that's highly appreciated and I don't want to pay tax on it, I could give it to my child and have them sell it. The problem is the kitty tax is going to roll that right back under you yeah. and assess it to the parent's tax bracket. If you didn't know that took place, it's only for the uh, passive and portfolio incomes, you know? It's not for if the kid's earning wages, but if you have a 16 year old, for example, and they go work at McDonald's, that's not going to be added up to the parents. But if you give a child a rental home when they're 16, those rents are going to end up on your return. So it's kind of funky. All right. Hey, if you guys like this type of information, we have another tax and asset protection workshop coming up on January 22nd. I don't even know. What is that? Oh, this weekend. So it's Saturday. Clint and I, I suppose I should know. I can be like, it's coming up in a few weeks, not this weekend. So you can absolutely join us. You're going to learn all about trusts, LLCs, corporations, and how the, the taxation of real estate occurs. It's absolutely free. You can absolutely pop in, and uh, we recommend that you do. And even if you've been to some classes in the past, so much stuff changes. Uh, 2022 has had a few little knickknacks that, that have changed up. Uh, but in the last three years, it's been major changes. So, all right, getting back into our questions. 
Thoughts on using a nonprofit that is funded with cryptocurrency? I don't have an issue with us funding my nonprofit profit with cryptocurrency. They're going to have to be the ones who have to convert to cash so they can actually use it in their mission. The one side note with uh, funding with crypto is you're going to have to get it appraised. Not a big deal, but... It's weird because if I earn it as a miner, and there's a question about mining it later in here, but let's say I earn it as a miner, it's the spot market. Mm -hmm. It's whatever that market sold for that particular day. Basically anything during that day, right? I could just, I have a range. Mm -hmm. But with, when you donate crypto, you actually have to get an appraiser, appraisal done. Yep. It's weird, right? And I've been reading about recently that some organizations are really pushing hard on IRS to give some real guidance on cryptocurrency. (laughs) (laughs) There's a market 24-7 for it. I don't think we need an appraisal. Right. But um, I mean, maybe on some of the coins, it's a little bit funky. But if you have some standard coins, it could, that would be pretty easy to issue up if there's a market for it. Yeah. If you donate more than $5,000 of crypto and you don't have an appraisal, they're going to deny the uh, donation. Yeah. And, and here's the deal. Most larger charities for sure are taking crypto now. Otherwise, they need to have a wallet. Here's why you do it. Because let's say I had a, some Bitcoin. And it's gone up in value 300%. So I bought it for 10,000. Now it's worth 30,000. If I donate it, I get a $30,000 deduction. If I sell it and donate the funds, I have a $20,000 tax hit the gain. So I bought it for 10,000. It's now 30. I have long-term capital gains of $20,000. And then I would get a $30,000 deduction. So, uh, So I'd still have a tax liability. That's why you always do it. If you purchase property with crypto, do you have to sell it in cryptocurrency too? No. So crypto, when you buy things with it, the IRS treats it as though you sold the crypto, turned it into US dollars, and then purchased with it. That's absolutely correct. Right. So you actually have a taxable transaction when you do it. So if I take my Bitcoin or my Doge, I'll use Doge, and you buy the Tesla with it, you sold the Doge on that day, and then you bought a Tesla. So that's a good way of looking at it. You, you, you have two transactions when you do anything with crypto like that. Good question here, too. Does wash sale apply to crypto? As of right now, no. no. But it was in the proposals under the Build Back Better plan to apply wash sales to crypto because guys like moi like to sell and then immediately buy back whenever crypto would pull back. Now, if you want to have whiplash, get into crypto, like get into Bitcoin and watch the 30% swings like one day like you know if you you don't like drinking but you still want that same i don't know which way is up feeling do some crypto (laughs) otherwise it's not for the faint of heart uh somebody says can you put the questions they're saying in the q a i wish we could i'll just repeat them but we have so many chats and whenever we open chat you're gonna have that person not that we've had this happen every single time we've done this, that starts soliciting everybody, you know, or I got this, or they start asking for money or they do something goofy. So we just shut it off, but we'll tell you. All right. When purchasing a self-storage facility, should it be in its own LLC and can it be combined in an LLC that already has property within its entity? Um, My preference is to put it in two LLCs. I put the property in one and I put the business in another. Does it matter from, oh, hold on for a second. So you'd have two LLCs for a- I'd, I'd have the, the property that, hold, that has the storage rentals. Mm-hmm. And then I'd have the business that's actually running those. The so assuming rentals. that you have a management, you're not using a third party management. Mm-hmm. You want to take the real estate and separate it from management. Correct. In this case, they have other self-storage facilities. So would you have the real estate owned in one, let's say you had two storage facilities, one management entity or one management group. Would you have the real estate in the same LLC? I probably would not. And if it was just other rental property, like single family homes, Mm -hmm. I would not mix it with a self-storage facility. Yeah. So the liability goes with the property. The liability could also go with the manager. If the manager, for example, discriminates or, or uh, assaults somebody or does whatever or steals, right? That liability 
is going to be with the management and the management entity and could be down to the real estate. Mm-hmm. If they say, hey, you know, you're responsible too. What you want to do is separate out the liability of the real estate from each other. So the easiest way to think of this is if you have a single glass of coffee and there's hot coffee in it, that's the liability that goes with real estate. You want to have each bit of hot coffee in its own cup. Otherwise, you mix them up. Something goes wrong on one property. You got It's going to hit both properties. It's going to nail both. So you always separate those out. <laughs> I had an experience with crypto that had a swing of 400% one day. That just, oh my God, that has to be like a doge or something or one of the new ones. 400%. Anyway. Sorry, got distracted. The LLC, again, is just separating out liability. How about for tax purposes, though, Jeff? Could those two LLCs, let's say that we had the structure, we had a management mm-hmm. entity and we had two pieces of real estate that are in separate LLCs. Do we have separate tax returns to do on all of these? Now? We could, but let's just considering the self-storage real estate and the self-storage operations, we could say that's what's called one economic unit and have it all taxed together. One tax return, right? Yep. So, and if you're not familiar with that, could you do that with a dental office that also owns the real estate? You could. You could do it not only with real estate, but related businesses. Mm-hmm. The bakery that always also has the truck service that takes the bakery goods out and too. Even though they're separate entities for liability purposes, they blend them all together. Even though one's passive and mm-hmm. one's active, we blend them together. This is how you get to write off passive losses yes. when you're self-renting. So let's say Jeff and I start up a, uh, a Jeff and Toby's consultant and we buy a building. In the building, we do a cost seg and we write off a huge chunk of money this big, massive loss comes down and Jeff and I look at each other and go, you know what? We don't want to pay tax this year. Let's treat it all as one unit. Then our profits from our consulting business, let's say we make 200000 in profits and we also have W-2 income of 100. Mm-hmm. So we have a total of, I don't even know what I said, 200000 plus 100. So 300000 of income that we are splitting. And then we have this real estate that kicks down $300,000 of loss. Guess how much tax we have? Zero. And anybody out there that's going, wait a second, that's passive activity. The real estate is passive. Not when you do the grouping. So when you group and treat it as one economic unit, when you're self-renting, you can't, even if it's not 100%, as long as it's the majority. And one thing with a self-storage unit, I'm cost segregating the heck out of that sucker. You're going to get Way more than you realize when you do a cost segregate. And if you don't know what a cost seg is, what's a cost seg? Cost segregation is where you have engineers or something like that go in and look at your real estate and say, oh, no, no, this isn't structure. This is a land improvement or this is equipment or this so on and so forth. These are fixtures. And they basically divide up your property into Mm -hmm. different categories. And the categories that they're separating from the building and the land usually have a much shorter depreciation life. That makes them eligible for bonus depreciation, which I believe is still 100% this year and 80% next year. Mm-hmm. So th- there is a real advantage to doing this. Um, there's some other advantages too involved in selling properties and so forth. Won't get into that, but cost segregation is a way to mm-hmm. really bump up your depreciation if you're able. Yeah, it's a fancy way of saying when you have a building, like we're in an in a office building right now, mm-hmm. We have carpet on the floor that's not part of the structure. That carpet's going to last five years. The IRS would say it's going to last 39 years. Mm -hmm. It's in an office building. This carpet's not going to make it 39 years. But that's what the IRS would say. And I shouldn't even say the IRS. If you choose the default rule, which is actually the incorrect rule. So when you go in and you actually do a cost segregation and you change the election, it says you are changing from an impermissible method to the permissible method. You're actually fixing something that's broken because they said the broken methodology is the default. It's kind of weird when you actually read it. You're going, wait a second, that can't be what I'm checking here. Yeah, I'm correcting the methodology. They just say, hey, we'll let you treat it. That's not good for you. (laughs) We'll allow you to hurt yourself. We won't tell you that you're hurting yourself and we're not going to bring it to your attention unless you want to fix it. So somebody says for residential, would that be something like a garage is a separate structure, fixture, not real estate? No, that would, that would probably be a structure. The, the garage door and the motor, those are separate. 
the fixtures in the walls are separate. If you had to bring electricity to that area, like you're doing specialized garage doors for like an oil changing, that would be separate. Those are all 15, seven and five year property, which you could bonus depreciate. Boom. Would it be worth cost segregation on residential? So in all things tax, it's a matter of getting your pencil out. So quite often we do uh, we don't do the cost segregations here, mm-hmm. but we can get you the cost segregation analysis done at no cost. We'd be happy to refer you to our source that that's all they do. It's a CPA firm that does nothing but cost segs and energy credits. And they're very, very good at it because they've done so many. I think Patty just put their link up there. If it, That's Eric Oliver. And uh, he, we've been working with him for years. And they'll tell you, here's how much the study costs and here's how much it'll save. So I, I use a real simple methodology. If it's going to uh, 7X my money, so if I spend 1000 bucks and if it's going to put $7,000 in my pocket, I'll do it. So and he, I think he's going to use the same thing. You want to get a nice return on it. So if it costs you on a residential, maybe it costs you three grand, but you put $30,000 in your pocket, that's worth it. If it's not, then maybe. All right. I currently have a private lending business. My understanding is that my life insurance premiums are tax deductible on my Schedule C as long as the proceeds are used to protect my capital assets and will not benefit me personally. Is any of this true? Or if not, when is it okay to deduct the premiums? Almost never. (laughs) The only time you can deduct life insurance premiums that I'm aware of is under group uh, group term life insurance but you have to have at least 10 employees and be providing them with uh, yeah, a term policy. And it's only up to uh, $50,000 of death benefit. Right. The only other time is under Coley, uh, corporate owned life insurance, where the death benefit is taxable. So normally insurance proceeds are mm-hmm. not taxable. So if I have Jeff as my death beneficiary and I have life insurance, it's a million bucks and I kicked the bucket, Jeff gets a million bucks. He pays zero tax on that. Right. Now, if it's a company and Jeff works for the company and they buy a million dollars of life insurance on Jeff, they don't get to deduct those premiums. I didn't get to deduct those premiums. Mm-hmm. But at the same token, the million dollars is not taxable to the company. Right. But if the company says, you know what, we're going to write off those premiums and we're getting the benefit, like, I, I don't know whether they would still have access to the cash value tax rate. I'm not aware of that off the top of my head but the death benefit would be taxable, then they would allow you to do that. My understanding. I think that there's a a little sliver in there. But in a private lending business, no, I don't believe that. I think what you're really doing, and this is perhaps what somebody is talking to you about, is microcap, where they're having you do a basically an insurance company. And they're allowing, I forget the section, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I want to say... 531 or 41 or something like that. But it's it's a it's a micro captive insurance where you're insuring something that normal insurance will not cover. So like if you're if you're using the life insurance to protect the proceeds, to protect your capital, possibly they're they're talking about doing that through a micro cap company. And that's part of how they're diversifying the assets. Mm-hmm. But I'm not certain. Insurance premiums for companies are not a deductible business cost. Somebody's asking question mark. It's life insurance. And there's one exception. The life insurance premiums are when it's a group life plan, 70 or Mm $50,000 of death benefit, or when the death benefit's going to be taxed. Other than that, I don't think there is. Yeah. And and this question says uh, that the company is a beneficiary, but it looks like in this case, the he is still the company. Mm-hmm. So oh, he is ultimately the beneficiary of this life policy too. Yep. Absolutely. hundred percent. If he's going to get any benefit, but anyway, we're not going to keep diving in. It's a schedule C. There's no way he's going to get it. So he's a sole proprietor. Fine, Toby. Fine. Hey, infinity, the women's class is coming up on February 5th. So you are going to be in for a treat. This is for the ladies out there, women in investing. We have Nicole DeBrasio, Marque Latimer, Pia Washington, and uh, and actually Patty's going to be on. And it's going to be really great. I think hey, Patty, is Maureen going to be doing it too? Or is she going to be doing some of the follow-up stuff? Who else is going to be on there? You can unmute yourself, Patty. She's probably going to freak out. 
No, we have a couple uh, special guests that are going to come in. Can you say who the special guests are? Uh, no, they're special guests. Special guests. <laughs> she special guests. But anyway, it should be really fun. We do Infinity every month, and it's really great. This one's going to be specifically addressed to women's issues. So I'm not going to say guys that you can't go, but this is geared not towards us, but uh, towards issues that are uniquely for a lot of the ladies out there. And you have a lot of really good, talented folks. I'm even sitting this one out. So I'll, I'll end up watching it just because I like to watch it, but it should be fun. It should be a lot of fun. And it's absolutely free. There's a link there if you want to join up. What is Infinity Investing? I'll just explain it in a nutshell. It's when you're able to not work if you don't want to. You have enough passive and portfolio income coming in that you don't need to work. So you become a volunteer. How do you build up those income sources? That's what Infinity is about. We actually use a calculator. We're pretty methodical about it. And we build up dividends, rents, interest, capital gains. We're looking at things that you don't have to continue to work for. And we hold things forever. Like we're really boring. Uh, so it's just something at least we get to hear from Patty. See, people are excited. They get to hear Patty. Patty's really good. I get to talk to her every day. She doesn't talk to you guys on the camera a lot. And it'll be a, it'll be a fun treat. So you guys can actually go in there and see. Because she's uh, very, very accomplished in real estate. Uh, ran a, had her own building company and had some partners that were, you'd know the name if I said the name. They're pretty famous. So she's very well accomplished. All right. I am selling real estate property in California. We use straight line depreciation for more than 30 years of about $700,000. Do we add depreciation recapture tax rate 5% for 700,000 or just 20% long-term capital gains rate? Total capital gains will be a little over $5 million. Jeffrey. If you have used straight line depreciation, there should be no recapture. It sounds like this may be fully depreciated mm -hmm. depending on what it is. So you're going to have the gain of $5 million. Uh, however, I wouldn't Calculated at 20%, I would calculate it at 24%. 23.8. I just rounded up just in case we net make a mistake. For net investment income tax. And there's no recapture on that, huh? No. Not on straight line? No. If they had depreciated it normal, would they have recaptured? Sometimes, but not often. A lot of the accelerated rates went away. Uh, the standard way is the modified straight line depreciation under makers. It's 27 and a half years of straight line or 39 for commercial property, 39 years. So they wouldn't have the 25%, the unrecaptured depreciation? I don't believe so. I did some calculations yesterday and it wasn't kicking it out. Huh. I thought you still did. Yeah. Well, whatever the case, you would always subtract that off of the long-term capital gain. So the total gain, if it was $5 million, you wouldn't have to worry about it. If, if you do, you're taking the, the 700000 I thought that the 700000 would be subject to recapture. You're saying it's not just because it's straight line? I may be missing something here. Residential property, they own it. They depreciated it fully. I, you don't have to recapture. When we're talking depreciation for recapture, or are we talking unrecaptured 1250 Yes. So unrecaptured 1250 there. It still wasn't popping up. I don't know. Weird. Anytime you have that, it is only on the amount of depreciation you take in the 700000 It wouldn't be on the entire $5 million. No, no. I think what they're asking. So they took $700,000 of depreciation right. over 30 years. And, and I'm saying I'm not sure that, that you would have that 25% rate. So you're going to have Jeff and I looking at each other funny. I'd have to go calculate it. But I, I thought that there'd be recapture on the seven hundred grand. that you'd have at least the recapture on the portion that you wrote off because they depreciated it. Right. You took it. But whatever the case, you're not going to pay twice. So the depreciation recapture or the young recaptured 1250, as, you, mm -hmm. as, as we're putting it, that's the proper term for it, but everybody calls it recapture. When you take depreciation, you recapture it on a straight line. It's going to be taxable at the recapture rate, which is zero to 25%, depending on what your well, and that's what I was saying. If, if the recapture did apply, it would not be on the entire five million. It would be the seven hundred. It would be just the seven hundred thousand. Right. And what you do is, it, and that reduces. So you have your total gain subtract the depreciation recapture. The remainder is long term capital gain. That mm -hmm. recapture is going to be a max of twenty of twenty five percent. The long term capital gain, as Jeff points out, is going to be twenty three point eight percent. 
But uh, I didn't know there was a way to get around that. So I'm perplexed. So we'll, 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 we'll hit you back up on that. There might be something again that I'm missing. Here. I like to plan for the worst. And- mm-hmm. All right. My husband and I would like to buy a small house that my mom owns free and clear. I'm going to propose seller financing. She is 82. So my question is, what happens if she passes away before the loan is paid off? I'm a beneficiary of your state along with my brother. How can I structure the terms to best suit everyone involved? So the owner financing is an asset to your mother. When she passes, that asset gets passed to the estate. At that point, the beneficiaries of the state, I'm assuming is 50% you and 50% your brother. So you would technically owe your brother for half of the loan balance at that point. Or depending on what else is in the estate, you might take the loan and they might take the Correct. Here's the deals that you got to pay attention to is when you do interfamily loans, you Mm got to document them. If they're more than $10,000, there's imputed interest. The federal AFR rates, they get published what, every quarter? Yeah, the blended rate comes out once a year. Once a year. So this is a long-term rate. So it'll actually, we can actually say, here's the lowest you can charge. So assume that mom wants the lowest. If you pick like a 4%, you're safe. If you pick what's kind of out there in society, you're safe. If you want the lowest, you go to that list and you say, all right, mom's you know loaning this to me, basically. She's carrying it back. And that's a note that is, like Jeff says, it's an asset of the estate. You're a beneficiary of it. Assume you guys are... 50-50, you would each own half of that note. So you could just keep it in place and you could just keep paying it mm-hmm. and you're getting half and your brother's getting half. Otherwise, you could address it in an estate plan like a living trust or you know, worst case scenario is a will. And let's say your mom says, hey, I want you to get the house. I'm going to gift you the note. I'm going to give that back to you first before anything else is split up, <clears> depending <throat> on how you guys structure things. Or you say, hey, this is going to be yours. And then your sibling, your brother gets other assets, you know, assuming that it's that it's roughly equivalent, but you don't have to sit here and say, oh, I have to pay it off now and all these things. Like, there's a good chance if she's 82, depending on how long the that note is for, there's a pretty good chance that it's going to be existing would, when, when she passes. Would you possibly plan for getting a third-party loan either now or in the future? You, you could put a balloon on this if, or you could just say, hey, you know, but if she's carrying it because you probably don't mm-hmm. want all the costs associated with the appraisal and doing all that stuff. So assuming that you guys are doing an arm's length transaction, that it's fair price. Like like where you don't want to go is you say, hey mom, she's got her seven hundred thousand dollar house and you buy it for four hundred thousand. Right. You're going to end up with a three hundred thousand dollar taxable event there for the under market portion. And you're going to end up in a fight with your brother. So what I would say here is you get a third party involved and get it valued, fairly valued, either a broker's value opinion, just get a broker to value it or get an appraisal done and then pick a fair interest rate and do the carry and say, and document it, you know, that mom knows that she's doing this and this is how that, you know, and that's going to be your portion. Any, any other assets that do not equal to make it a 50, 50 division, if that's what you guys are doing, then you would say, whatever that portion is, is uh, have it directed back to the brother, whatever that extra amount is. But again, I would I would document the heck out of this. And I, I'm biased anyway. I think everybody should be using a living trust to stay out of court. But you could document this in a living trust saying, hey, either document the loan to make, the loan to make sure it's over a set period of time so you know when the balloon is or when you know when it's done being paid off or put something in the trust that says, here's what I should do. Somebody says how to take advantage of the stepped-up basis in the situation. Uh, that's the problem is if you're buying the house, there is no real step-up. I don't even think the note could be stepped-up. Your step-up is what you paid for the house. Yeah. And since the note's fair mar- the note fair market value isn't going to change after your mother passes, there's no step-up there either. So your mom may have a taxable event as it's going along. I'm trying to think of how that would end up on, on the year of passing. I suppose it would step up and you'd be done on capital gains if you're paying on an installment note. So generally speaking, let's say this oh. was a 30-year note and you bought a $300,000 house and it, your mom's basis was 100000 So there's a couple hundred thousand dollars of of uh, depreciation, or not depreciation, but uh, of, of appreciation, the taxable 
gain. And assuming this isn't her residence, maybe this is a, let's assume this is an investment property. So there's no 121 exclusions. You're spreading out the taxable event, the return of basis over 30 years, the, the capital gains over 30 years, and some interest is going to be the, the, the taxable event. And let's say she passes away in year 10, you'd have a step up on the gain at that point for the unpaid portion, right? Mm-hmm. And so you'd have, uh, at that point, then the estate would be getting the interest or you and your brother would be getting the interest and there wouldn't be any other tax hit to the estate. Yeah. So that installment sale continues after death and somebody's going to have to recognize the deferred gains on that sale. Well, if it steps up when they die, when she passes, then you wouldn't have it, right? No, Still it like wouldn't it. step up. It wouldn't step up? Because it was bought at this date. It was bought before her passing, so there is no step up. But when you elect an installment sale, then it's taxable when you receive it, right? Yes. So that wouldn't step up? No. All right. So you'd have some. So what, what Jeff's saying is we may lose the step up and you're going to end up with a possibly a taxable situation. But that would go to the beneficiaries then at that point? Mm, correct. So, you know, so the estate to the bennies. They, they just, so there may be that you lose the, well, you, your mom's getting the kind of a step up. This is so, so what could we do instead to where she could get use of the house now and inherit it later? Anything? Well, it sounds like they want to buy the small house. So if mom keeps it and she passes and she gives it to you, your basis steps up. There's no capital gains. Mom has no problem here. If you loan money against what this is the wrong, the money going the wrong direction. If your mom wants money out of it, she could potentially borrow the money from you and you'd get your step up in basis and you'd own the note and that liability would go with the estate. I'm just trying to think of a, it sounds like mom has an investment property and you know, one of the siblings wants to buy it. One of the mm-hmm. kids wants to buy it. And the cleanest thing is to sell it. Mom's carrying the note and be transparent about it. The basis, losing the step up in basis could be a problem. Somebody says maybe you could rent it, possibly rent it so you don't lose the step up. And then uh, again, it, it depends on what they want to do with it. If you want to live in it, then that might be the best basis is you have a, maybe you have a, a lease option on it or something along those lines. I'd have to noodle it around a little bit. It's an investment property that she can't handle anymore. So we will buy it and it will need to be our rental. So I'm buying it and I'm documenting it. Is there a lot of uh, is there a lot of gain that's built in? Like, did she buy it a long time ago, or you, it's paid off? It's paid off. I'm saying it was my grandfather's home. Oh wow! So mom step up in basis. So oh wow! So we'd have to know what the basis was on the date of grandfather's passing that she inherited, because that would be the basis that she would inherit it. And then we look at the gain. I see what's going on. I would probably keep it in the uh, in the family. I would document it myself. That's something where I like the, 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 the loss of a little bit of tax benefit, if you're going to keep it in your family, to me, it's kind of, uh, it's somewhat insignificant. And then your son currently rents it. If you want the step up, you could have your mom rent it to your son. You could agree to maintain it documented in your, in her estate plan that it's going to go to you. If you want to make sure you get it or that you have the right to purchase it, like put an option on it. So you're, you're freezing the, uh, I don't think the base, I don't think an option would destroy the step up. I'd have to look at it to make sure. Do you think? I I don't know that it would either. Yeah. It's a really interesting question. So I'd say your name, but I don't want to tip off whoever it is. This is one of those that you think the first answer is the right answer. And then you start thinking about the technicalities. I'd have to pencil it out. I'd have to know what the basis is and how much we're really talking about. Because, but if it's me and I want to keep it clean and I want to keep my my relationship with my brother good, I'm probably buying it with an owner carry and leaving it that way. And the one thing I would look at, Jeff does not believe there's a step up on an owner carry, is I would just verify that. Not saying you're wrong. You're probably right. But it's that would be something I'd look at to say, hey, can we get around this with an owner carry? And then make it real easy. That's good that he checks my answers. <laughs> yeah. I'm wrong more often than I'm right nowadays. All right. Do I need to perform cost segregation in the year I acquired the property for the same year bonus depreciation or performing it next year is okay? For example, I bought a property in 2021. I ran a cost seg in 2022, but I want to 
write off the bonus depreciation for tax year 2021. Can I do that? So I, I bought a property in 2021 and I want to do a cost segregation. I have up until the due date, or if I extend up my return, the extended due date of that tax return to get that cost segregation done. Mm-hmm. So if you were a real estate professional in 2021, qualified, uh, I don't know that I do with the cost segregation if you weren't, but if you were, you could do that cost segregation now or six months from now or any time before you file a return and apply that cost segregation to the 2021 tax return. Yes. So you can absolutely do a cost segregation. What it is, is in the first year you buy it, it's easy. You just yeah. treat it as though you, you get the cost seg done and you treat it as 1245 and 1250 property, which just means the tangible property mm-hmm. and the and the structural property. If you are in future years, like you're three years after you bought it, you can do a change of accounting or the second year after you bought it. So the next year you could do a change of accounting at 3115. And in that year, you would do the cost seg and it would apply like the bonus depreciation rule will apply to the year that you purchased the property, but you would take it in the year that you actually changed your accounting method. Right. So basically make it easy. Yes, you can do it. Just do it. Just do it. Like run the numbers and then do it. Like again, we have somebody who will do it for absolutely no cost to run the analysis to see whether it's worthwhile doing. And they'll tell you what it would cost to actually do the cost seg so that you go in with your eyes completely open. But in this situation, you could wait. Hey, I don't want it for 2021. It's not going to give me any real benefit, but I'd love to do it in 2022. Then yes, you could actually do the cost segregation in 2023, so long as it's before the return Mm -hmm. plus its extension is filed. By the way, if you like this sort of stuff, listen to the podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're always putting content out, including the the Tax Tuesdays. If you like watching the videos uh, and you like seeing Jeff live, do the replay. It's in the Platinum Portal. If you just want to listen to it, by all means, uh, we put it in our podcast, plus we put it in YouTube. All right. What is your opinion on cryptocurrency, Jeff, and mining? Is there big money to be made with mining with less risk than the currency? How much money does it take to get in the game? Cryptocurrency can have a place in any investment and portfolio. I, like most CPAs, tend not to give advice on specific types of investments. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our insurance companies don't like us taking on that liability. You don't want to tell people what to invest in? No. It's a shocker. uh, We've we've had it where people have said, no, I don't want to give an opinion on this investment, didn't document it, and they still got sued because they didn't document it. So I got one better than that. We had a guy that used one of our conference rooms. We, you know, they said, "Hey, can we do a signing here?" We did, a, we did a deed, and they sued us saying because it was silly. They, they said, "Oh, you should have known that the guy was using your conference room just to sign the deed was going to sell us a private annuity. Like we had nothing to do with it. We got dismissed, but it was a pain. It was like you got to be kidding me. People are knuckleheads. But anyway, cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency. What do uh, you think? I think that uh, I have clients that do really, really well mining. They do the nice hash and they have the, uh, right now they're doing, I'm not going to get into the types of computers, there's ASICs and there's others. It's really tough to get the equipment right now and it's expensive. Mm -hmm. So some places you can actually do kind of a sublet where you're being part of a group and you're buying access to the cards, which generate it. My experience is that for every card, you're making about 30 bucks a day and a card would cost about 1500 bucks plus the motherboard. So depending on how many cards you get, you could actually have a nice return. And then if the crypto grows, you do quite well. So I have a client who made about $700,000 a year last year who was mining. That's great. But you know, there's lots of costs and there's a risk. And the reason that they did so well is because the coin that they were mining went up. That coin could just as easily go the other direction. And then you're crying, right? And you're, you're losing. So it's it really comes down to... David, you make a good point, cost of electricity. Yeah, it's the cost of actually doing the mining and the cost of the equipment. So to get a really good miner with like 10 cards, you're probably talking 16 grand. So let's say that you invest that 16,000 and with all those cards, you're making 300 bucks a day. And over the year, it takes about a year and a half or so to make up your investment and then the rest of it's gravy. Those cards last about three years. You should be doing well. And if you get appreciation, 
you're loving it. If, if it tanks, then you're not loving it. So if you spend a bunch of money getting Bitcoin and Bitcoin goes, runs down, you'll be, you'll be crying. And tax-wise, virtually everything you invest in equipment, electricity, things like that, it's going to be all write-off in the first year. Mm-hmm. You're going to get a big deduction if you buy the equipment. If you lease the equipment, like if you're, like if you're, you're accessing somebody else's by joining a pool, then mm-hmm. not so much. It, it's as you go, pay as you go. But Now, the biggest issue I've had with watching crypto is there doesn't seem to be any logic to it going up and down. The big moves tend to be El Salvador or Honduras recognizes it an official currency or Fed rates go up or stuff like that. But nothing really tied directly to the currency. So with Bitcoin, you'd have the people saying, hey, it's, there's going to be 21 million coin total. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the year 2140 before it's completely mined and the value inherently because of the difficulty equation is going to cause it to go up. Somebody says, what is a card? You mean a Coinbase provider? No, it, it, it's a... Uh, Video card, video card, yeah. So these things, if you've ever seen them, they just they're they're loud. I've had clients that had them. They're they're actually there's pretty cool liquid cool stuff now that takes some of the the heat away. But they're computers. They're just like it looks like a, a motherboard with a bunch of cables and a bunch of things running. That's looks like Frankenstein's monster. You know they make a lot of noise and they they generate a lot of heat because they're doing so many equations per second, mm-hmm. trying to guess the right answer to get their coin. But yeah, I forget what we were talking about on that. But there was, but you know, crypto like like any other type of security or investment has a lot of potential to go up, but that also means it has a lot of potential to head the other direction. Well, they're building cool things like uh, in the metaverse. If you're going to buy in the metaverse, you're probably going to be using Ethereum. I believe that's the coin that for the most part they use. So if you go that route or you're doing NFTs and you're you're speculating in those markets, you could lose, but it's like collectibles. What is it? Board monkey. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to think of all the other names of them. Some of you guys. I appreciate you all not asking about NFTs. Uh, <laughs> We've had some clients do well on NFTs too. It's kind of a crazy world out there. But uh, uh, yes, yeah, so, some do very, very well. Some like it, it, it board ape. There we go. I said board monkey, board ape. You are right. Yeah. So there's 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 a whole bunch of stuff. You can just go peruse. It's it's a new new world, and the metaverse is going to be new. What's interesting is years ago I met with the CEO of uh, EXP Realty and did a tour, and it was a metaverse is basically what they operate, and they're they've gone bonkers. It's going to go great. I think that that probably is a future where you go into a virtual world, a virtual office, and uh, and you go in there and you and you meet. So it's. Uh, Somebody says, can you depreciate real estate in the metaverse? Mostly <laughs> joking. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's but you, no, you gave a good example. It, it, a lot of these coins, if they're properly used for what they were designed for, if I have a company who needs to buy stuff from Vietnam, I can use a virtual currency to buy that without having to worry about transaction fees and transfers of money. I just mm-hmm. send them the, the token currencies. It's easy. I've done it. And it's... You know, the hardest thing is getting set up to where you're uh, you're able to take it or, or or use it. And I think that you're going to see more and more like the Visa, the Coinbase card and some of these others are going to make it easy. Snoop Dogg's neighboring real estate in the metaverse was going for a lot of money. Matthew, you're right. I think it was over a million bucks in some of these cases. And the board Ape, some of those were going for hundreds of thousands of dollars. There's a bunch. And the what was the cyberpunks? Some of those, I think, were uh, millions of dollars, too. It's because there's a finite amount of them. They said, here's there's scarcity and there's intrigue about it and collectors love it. The same thing is like somebody would say, why would you buy this baseball for hundreds of thousands of dollars just because it has Babe Ruth's name on it, right? There's something that's the story. And what you're seeing in the metaverse is that's going a million miles an hour and people are already going out there and saying, here's something that's really important. Like Snoop Dogg has his own NFTs. So yeah, if you want to speculate and go be a collector, you can certainly do that. It's pretty fun. I'm not going to get into all the rest of it, but on the crypto, I look at Bitcoin and and Ethereum. I really don't follow much else. I bought Doge because I like Shiba Inus and I thought it was funny when Elon was doing it, made a a bunch and then I sold a bunch and I still have some. I just goof around with it, but that's just playing. The Bitcoin and the Ethereum are what I think are 
is probably your more serious cryptos, uh, Bitcoin probably being the king, but they seem to follow each other. All right. How are taxes calculated when renting only one room in your home for Airbnb? How are the expenses calculated? For example, cleaning fees, lawn, pest control, maintenance, snacks, and other amenities offered to guests. Are you looking at me? I'm looking at Jeff because he's the CPA. So your expenses are going to be calculated. You're going to have two kinds of expenses. You have One's called direct expenses. One's called indirect expenses. Mm-hmm. A direct expense is a, an expense that only applies to that rental. It may be services you're providing for that person. Uh, if you're only having that room clean professionally, something like that. Indirect expenses are going to be your utilities, your mortgage interest, taxes, HOA fees, any number of things. And let's say I have a four-room house and I'm running out of room of it. A quarter, one-fourth of all of those indirect fees or expenses are going to be allocated to that rental property. Mm -hmm. So fourth of my taxes and fourth of my interest, mortgage interest, fourth of my HOA. Are you putting it now, if it's seven days or less... This is going on your schedule yes. seat, right? Kind of skipped over that. Yeah. So if somebody, so here's the big deal. Is it a rental or is it a business? If it's a business and you're renting out a portion of your home, then we have to be worried about some of the recapture. Mm-hmm. And if it's within the four walls, whether there's an exception to it, things like that. But you're going to have your depreciation and all these things, but it's going to be an ordinary business. It's no different than you're running your plumbing business. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, and you're just taking up a portion instead of doing it like a home office, you're just using a portion of the structure of those expenses, which means you can do net square footage. Can you do room methodology and things like that? Yeah. The the example I gave you is room, the rooms, Mm -hmm. Uh, you can use square footage. Let's say, like we talked about, it may be one of these multi-gen suites where Mm -hmm. it's a third of the house. You may want to capture that actual square footage Mm-hmm. Uh, of that apartment in the house. It also makes it easier. Uh, what, what makes it a little more complicated is if you have common use areas, mm-hmm. calculating. So if you have a portion of suite that. with a kitchenette, mm-hmm. it's easy, right? Yeah. The same thing with house hacking. Right? Yep. So house hacking is going to be passive because it's longer than a week. Airbnb is typically three to four days on average. Mm-hmm. So it ends up being not a rental activity. If it's longer, like you say, amenities offered to guests, you could be up to 30 days where it's still not rental, depending on whether you're providing substantial services to the guests. So it all depends. Like if your amenities is I cook for them and I clean and do things like that, you're over seven days to to 30 days. It's still not a rental because you're doing too much. You're not acting like a regular uh, lease. They're going to treat you differently. And then if you even go above 30 days and you're doing something like you're providing, uh, let's say, you know, we're doing a a greatest loser type thing where people are coming into your house and you're, you're running them through a rehab or fixing something or therapy or whatever and it's incidental to that, then that even isn't even treated as a rental. If you are just renting it out to somebody and they come in and they stay for more than seven days, but you're not giving them anything special, no substantial services, then it's going to be passive. It gets kind of wonky. That's why Airbnb is the bastion of misinformation, uh, especially on the internet, because you have all these folks try to interpret what the IRS is thinking. And and there really isn't a huge amount of clear guidance. Mm -hmm. So everybody kind of uses the, am I a hotel? (laughs) Am I doing things that a hotel would do? And if I am, ah, right. If you're seven days or less, we don't care what you're doing. It's a hotel. If you're seven days to 30 days, then we're really looking to say, are you providing all these other services, you know, concierge services? Uh, The other thing I would caution is personal use. If I have a ensuite that Mm -hmm. I'm running now for Airbnb. Don't go in and use it. Don't go it. Don't use it for personal use. Don't put your mother up in it. Wait, that's my mom. Or or something like that, because if it's more than 10% of the total days rented, you, you get thrown into a completely different rule. It may not get the deduct losses. See, Diana already says, what's considered substantial service? Good question. The IRS doesn't really give us answer. It's anything that you're providing that a hotel would basically be providing. So changing the sheets, food, concierge service, things like that. But they don't say, here's a list. Yeah, the IRS publication actually says, when it says substantial services, it says 
you know. Yeah. Basically, you know, like a hotel. Like water. <laughs> Running water and a shower. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. So it's always the facts and circumstances, which is the IRS likes and we don't. Unless we can make sure that they are in our favor. I'll tell you what you do. Okay. So here's the deal. Time out. If you are in a situation where you're in Airbnb and you do not want to get into that analysis, then what you do is you have your Airbnb business, your host business be a corporation and you rent long to it. So like, let's say I was in this scenario and I want to make sure that it's passive. Then I rent my room and my house to a corporation. The corporation is the host and goes out and sublets it and makes that little bit of spread. So if I'm ever nervous about self-employment tax, because that's what you're looking at if it's Schedule C, if I'm nervous about that, if I'm nervous about whether I am providing all these other services, then I might just make it really simple and say, you know what, the host is the active business, me as renting this this space, I'm just sending it out. So I was I was wondering about that. Would you do that even if you're renting out a room in your house, rent it to your corporation, have them do the Airbnb? Mm-hmm. To do what? Would you rent out a room in your house to your corporation and then have them still do the Airbnb? I'd potentially do it or I'd reimburse. Hmm. I'd have the corporation reimburse me for the use of my home. Okay. And I, so I'd, I'd probably go that route. If somebody says we're, we're thinking of providing upsell package, writer, kids, et cetera, to increase the value stack of a short-term rental. Is that going to trigger this? Potentially. And that's why we're probably going to do the, the workaround, Rob. That's what you look at. All right. That's it. If you have questions that come up while well, we're not doing a Tax Tuesday, so the next two weeks, because we do these bi-weekly, by all means, email them in to taxtuesdayandandersonadvisors.com. We take our questions that we answer here from all those questions. They, uh, my staff goes through all the questions and makes sure that they get answered, and they highlight a handful of them every, every you know, and say, hey, that might be a good one for the group. Mm-hmm. And we just grab them from that list. So we're pretty much like this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. So if you have a good question, it may be featured. It's always fun. And we get to have conversations with people sometimes in the chat that ask the question. So we do grab them from whatever you guys send in. And in the meantime, you know, be good to all the folks out there. Stay healthy. Do you have anything else? I have nothing else. All right. And uh, somebody says, how can I listen to the recording? It'll be on our YouTube channel. So make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're platinum, it'll be in the platinum portal. So we always make sure that we put those things out there. So there you go, Patty. Thank you. So until next time, this is Toby and Jeff, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 